every Friday night after the League of Ireland games, a place for you to come to give your opinion to vent. There's a little button down on the left-hand corner where you can say that you want to talk. Catch League of Ireland late night, Friday nights at 10 on Twitter Spaces. Follow at Off The Ball. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, you're welcome along. It is Thursday's Off The Ball. Nathan with you until 10 o'clock. We've got a busy show coming your way. John Giles at half past seven, as always. He's going to be reflecting on Marcelo Bielsa's departure as Leeds United manager. John, a massive fan of Bielsa, so we'll get his thoughts on the news this week and Jesse Marsh's arrival into the club. After eight o'clock, Eddie Brennan is going to be with us and we're going to be talking the opening rounds of the Hurling League, what's going on with Limerick, but also focusing on some of the other interesting stories around Dublin, Wexford, Cork, uh, that coming away after eight o'clock. And then on the football show, Andy Mitten is going to be with us on Manchester United. Their financial figures released this week. More leaks yet again from the Old Trafford dressing room in the papers this morning uh, around Harry Maguire, not just casting doubts on his leadership, but casting doubts on his footballing ability. So that coming away on the football show. And Gavin Cooney as well. Uh, Stephen Kenny is going to be naming his Republic of Ireland squad for the upcoming friendlies in a couple of weeks. So we're going to check in on the lay of the land in terms of the form and fitness of some of those Irish players. So that is the show between now and 10 o'clock. As always, we'd love you to get involved. 53106 is the text number. Add off the ball if you want to get in touch on social media. Richie McCormick, good evening. Silenced. He has been silenced. Are you there, Richie? I'm there. Hello. Finally. This new guy's my favourite sound up, Richie, already. Yeah. He's kept your already? mic down. That's lesson one. Keep Richie's mic down. Oh, oh. Joe Malloy, are you there? Has there been a leakier dressing room than the boys at Carrington? Oh, dear God. They've really got it in for Harry Maguire, don't they? Like, I'm not Harry Maguire's biggest fan. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't enjoy the Harry Maguire post-match interview. But... Today, it's not even his leadership. It's basically, they have doubts about his ability as a footballer. Is he a Manchester United player? What sort of toxic atmosphere must there be in that dressing room that that's the way you're talking about your captain? I can't remember too many previous examples where there's been so much information. At this stage, I have no idea what to believe around the different factions and who's right and who's wrong and what the standard of training is like. But it is never ending. Every second day, some story about the coaching staff or another player or favoritism. It's like, grow up, lads. They're the worst. I mean, I think even Manchester United fans don't like this team anymore. It's just reached that point where they've turfed enough managers overboard and they're not happy with the current one and the leagues are never ending. And the Maguire stuff is a bit nasty as well. Like somebody who said that to their agent, to the journalist, however it came out. There's a real sort of nastiness to that one, I think. So, um, yeah, it's it's a. I, I talked to you know a couple of Manchester United fans in in my world, and they don't even really want to see them improve that much. They don't want this bunch of players to be swanning around thinking they're the bee's knees anytime soon. They're not a very likable team anymore, I'd have to say. I mean, were they ever potentially? I thought there was a time under Solskjaer where they seemed like a decent bunch emerging from the PTSD of. Jose Mourinho and the uh, awfulness of that regime, you know, the Luke Shaw's of the world who were uh, almost uh, almost bullied, allegedly, and all that. And, uh, you know, Mourinho turned to the crowd and Rashford missed a chance as if to say, I can't work, I can't work with this guy. And then under Solskjaer, they had a bit about them, but I think in most people's eyes, they have gone majorly backwards on any kind of likability front. Do you revise in any way the Mourinho era with everything that's gone on since? Was Mourinho yeah. onto something about that dressing room? Maybe. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe. I think you do have to revise it a touch. Now, that said, it turns out that the Roma dressing room, the Spurs dressing room, all toxic as well. So <laughs> there is a common denominator there with Mourinho. He hasn't found a good dressing room in about 15 years per Mourinho. So it's hard to know. That could be a real six of one, half a dozen of the other. I do think it does make the job he did look a bit better. I mean, he did famously say finishing second or third was the best thing he'd ever achieved in management, which seemed like another dig. Maybe there's a grain more truth in it than we thought at the time. Well, if there's one weekend when Manchester United players tend to turn up, it is the weekend when they go to the Etihad Stadium. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. We're live commentary of the Manchester Derby back at the ground. Oh, you're there. Uh, not, yeah. not, not that we haven't been there the whole time. Of course we've been there the whole time. What, what have we been doing? What have we been doing? Leeds last week. Leeds yeah. is lovely. Oh, that's, yeah. A, that's a trek, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Lovely stadium, though. Lovely people. Yeah, hopping, hopping. Atmosphere was electric, Richie. I, I'm oh, fairly sure I heard mighty. you say in commentary. Mighty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, the rain didn't stop. Oh, it was getting chilly. <laughs> I, had to, I had to wrap up. I had to wear like four or five layers of that one. I'll apologise uh, for the lies of the last two years. I was thinking, actually, it's two years to the day since we did our last live game from a ground. Uh, right. One of which I think was the Manchester Derby uh, that the Scott McTominay one we scored in the last minute and I was at Stamford Bridge for Chelsea Everton getting the tube back to Heathrow afterwards thinking a lot of people coughing on this tube. Not sure if we'll be back next Sunday. Uh, not fully expecting that it'd be two years before mm. we will be back again. So yeah, cannot wait uh, Etihad Stadium. Brian Kerr is the only person more excited than me. Never has a man. Well, he's going to... Man, that man's had a trip to Pakistan recently. Well, he right? has, he has, he's got out, but he has just been desperate to get back uh, to stadiums, to being at matches. Obviously, he gets to Richmond Park whenever he wants as well, uh, but he's absolutely buzzing to get to the Etihad on Yeah, nice. Do you fly over together? We do, we do. He has no choice. That's a So, like, we will see each other at the airport about half nine in the morning, and the next time we won't be in each other's company is about midnight on Sunday night. Mm. And uh, have you reached a, a comfort level whereby... Uh, you can sit beside each other in an airport for an hour without talking. Well, very quickly, Brian made it clear that that was the preferable option. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's not too much silence when you're with Brian Kerr. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of stories there. So, um, yeah, it should be good. So that's half four on Sunday. Today's a special day, of course. Today is get excited about Rory McIlroy in the career Grand Slam day. That's right, Richie. Roy McIlroy. International Book Day. I was wondering what you came dressed up as. No, no smart comments, please. Roy McIlroy is rocked up at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and shot a first round sixty-five, seven under par, three shots clear of the field. We're a month away from the Masters, Joe. We know how this ends. This week or at the Masters? Well, both. Hmm. Apparently, it was vintage. I didn't didn't see much of it, but apparently, it was brilliant. So. Um... Who knows? He hasn't been far away this year, like he almost won the Middle East. So I think he's what you can say about McElroy certainly is that uh, he has approached every Masters for uh, the last seven, eight years when the career Grand Slam was on the line in every possible way. He's been in amazing form early in the season. He's been in terrible form early in the season. He's been in middling, inconsistent form early in the season. And it's all ended generally the same way come Augusta. So who knows what the right approach is? But um I guess that's good, Nathan. Let's see him finish it off now. This is the tendency of late has been to not go well in first rounds and then, you know, reverse nicely into a top ten, top five, or even into contention. To be fair, mm. a little bit of late, he, he hasn't actually got off to a lightning uh, start too often. In fairness to the kid, in fairness to the kid, he's a hell of a front runner when he gets going. He is and he isn't. It turns out, Joe. So go on. 
18th time in Rory McIlroy's career he started with a 65 or better. He's won three of them tournaments. And the last time he did it was back in 2012. But was he leading then? I generally think when McElroy gets into a lead, like he could have, you know, a 65 or whatever might have had him, you know, dominating the tournament at certain venues. Like I think in 2014 when he got his nose in front of the British Open and kicked on, not to bring up something from eight years ago, admittedly, but uh, I put it this way. I don't think he's the kind of player that gets phased by leading. Like I kind of, I would back him. I would back him actually if he had a few shots lead on a Sunday going into the, the final round. You're, you're giving me a look. You're saying no. Uh, not sure anymore. sort of feels like it. I, I, I would have said back in 2012, absolutely. Right now, I'm not sure. Like His problem is putting four days together and he's done it every which way. So sometimes he starts well and fades out. Sometimes he starts slowly and gets himself back into the tournament. So I'm yeah. just not quite sure with Rory McIlroy right now. We talk a lot about Rory McIlroy in this week's Golf Weekly. Uh, he's done one of the great Rory McIlroy flips and there's been many of them. There's been many of them through the years. Uh, but last week, Richie, you'll remember... He went to town on Phil Mickelson. Absolutely went to town on Phil Mickelson and his talking with the Saudi League and everything he had to say about these guys. He said, I don't want to kick someone while he's down, obviously. But I thought his comments were naive, selfish, egotistical and ignorant. But then yesterday, Rory said, it's unfortunate how quickly his sponsors have just deserted them. He said, it's unfortunate. I think Phil has been a wonderful ambassador for the game of golf, still is a wonderful ambassador for the game of golf. It's unfortunate that a few comments that he thought he was making in confidence are off the record, got out there, not used against him, but the whole situation is unfortunate. That's some turnaround in the space of a week. Well, you've just uh, highlighted Rory McIlroy's inconsistency on the course, and lo and behold, it turns out he possesses it often as well. I I I I'd give him a pass on this one. Like, don't get me wrong, he loves an about turn. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Things. Well, you're a Mickelson like, sympathizer, Joe. That's not entirely true. <laughs> the comments he said last week, he said uh, talking about Mickelson's comments. He wasn't saying Mickelson the person. He was just saying Mickelson's comments were egotistical, selfish, and whatever uh, adjectives he used at the time. I don't think it's it's outrageous to come along a week, ten days later, and say, look, that said, we shouldn't cast him away forever. Now, Peter Laurie on Golf Weekly wants Mickelson banned for life and <laughs> has explained why in very like uh, convincing terms, you know, you would say. But um, I don't think it's I don't think it's 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 is it's it in Rory's top soon. five about turns? A, I don't think so. It's, it's a bit soon. Like, it's only a week ago. It's yeah. only a couple of weeks since these comments first came out. Like, let Phil stew for a little while. Rather than been, 10 days in. Been, no, let's, you know, it's let's been a long 10 days too. for Phil. I'd say it's been some stewing for Phil. Do you think Rory got the call off, Phil, after those comments? Yeah. You said that in the pod. I, yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know what their... I don't get a sense of their relationship too often. No, well, Rory went all in with Tiger. He had no yeah. time, really, for number two. For Phil. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was definitely more of a Tiger guy. Um, I wonder. You know, I, I, it's hard to know where Mickelson's at. He's been very quiet. I, I had anticipated we would see Mickelson at some stage, you know, over the last week. Um, you were looking for the Tiger-style oversized suit apology. Yeah, the blue curtain behind him, uh, all that kind of stuff. Though, you look, there's there's bigger things going on in the world. So maybe, you know, um, maybe Phil thought it wouldn't be the best week to beg for forgiveness and say, I've been through such a dreadful time. Even Phil may have thought that wouldn't be the appropriate move this week. Uh, so Rory's on seven under par. He's three shots clear of Gray McDowell is uh, right up there Jeez. as well on four under par. So uh, Porter Carrington is also in the field and so too is Seamus Power. We'll get into the news round. It's brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And 
Once again, Richie, Russia dominating the sporting headlines as well. Yeah, and the Russian Football Union's confirmed this evening that they are appealing to the Court of Arbitration for Sport regarding their expulsion from world football. Russia were due to play Poland later this month in a World Cup playoff. Spartak Moscow were also booted out of the Europa League, while a decision on Russia's involvement in this summer's Women's Euros is pending. The RFU believes that neither FIFA nor UEFA had a legal basis to remove their teams. Despite Russia's invasion of Ukraine, they will ask that the suspensions be lifted with the case pending. Yeah, uh, so Russia aren't taking this line down, Joe. I sort of yeah. thought that they would, you know, take their punishment while the war is ongoing and while the invasion is ongoing. Did you? Because they've behaved so well across the board. I'm not surprised at all. I, I'm putting no, nothing past them. It's so it's interesting this came up today because Jonathan Wilson was on last night with us, and he he was just talking about FIFA and the bigger conversations that we've been having. But just in the midst of it, he just, dro- he just dropped in a line or two where he said he'd been talking to a few legal experts who felt if Russia were to appeal the ban, that they may well have a legal case and certainly would have a decent case for uh, the suspension uh, being put on hold until the legal case was uh, heard. So uh, they may actually have a case. You know, I, I, th- this gets very, very interesting if, mm. they, if the suspension is lifted and naturally enough Poland and the Swedes and uh, Norway will refuse to play them, in which case FIFA have a big problem. They, I mean, be a hell of a thing to give Russia a bye to the World Cup in Qatar. Understandably, Richie, most of the focus has been on Russia and the punishments that they are taking and what it will mean for qualification campaigns and all of that. But uh, Ukraine have their own World Cup playoff and understandably feel that they're not in a position to play it. Yeah, they have reportedly requested that their playoff with Scotland be postponed. They're due to meet at Hampden Park on March 24th with the winner playing either Austria or Wales for a place in Qatar. All right, so there'll be plenty more on that uh, on the football show. Tomorrow's a big day for women's rugby in this country, so so much debate around the reports that have taken place after the disaster that was the lack of qualification for the World Cup. The reports are out tomorrow, Richie, but also we're get, already we're getting a sense of maybe what's to come. Yeah, I don't think these two pieces of news are unconnected. Anthony Eddy has stepped down from his role as the IRFU's Director of Sevens and Women's Rugby. His departure, as you mentioned, comes the day before a report on Ireland's failure to qualify for the Women's World Cup is due to be published. The IRFU say Eddie's duties will be passed to existing staff in the interim, while Greg McWilliams has named nine uncapped players in a squad of 38 for the upcoming Women's Six Nations. However, there's no room for Wasps hooker Cleona Maloney nor the experienced centre Sene Neopu. Ireland begin their campaign against Wales at the RDS on the 26th of this month. All right, so that report due out around lunchtime tomorrow, but uh, Anthony, Eddie, Joe, uh, not waiting around for the public publication. Yeah, that's very dramatic news. It's hard to know precisely what kind of a job he has done, but certainly what you have to say is from a point in 2014 where Ireland had just won a Grand Slam and had reached semi-finals and beaten New Zealand, the subsequent performances across Six Nations and in particular... Uh, World Cups, i.e. eighth in a tournament that we were hosting and then not qualifying for the upcoming World Cup this year is an unbelievable fall from grace. You know, it's it's it's, it's seismic. And there were the accusations, certainly, that the sevens was being prioritised over the 15s. And that was one of the reasons the 15s was going to pot. And uh, yeah, it's 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 hard to disconnect his departure on the eve of the report from the report. So that's one. Uh, the other thing that sort of catches my eye, and let's just uh, let's just see where it goes, is 
Look, uh, there was a letter signed by a bunch of players, mm. including Kleena Maloney, Kleena Maloney and Sene Nuopu, and neither of whom are in the squad. Now, Sene Nuopu is 38 years of age, so maybe, maybe there's an argument there, although I've heard from a couple of people that she's playing very well at the moment. Um, now, to be fair, Linda Dejugang and Emer Considine also signed that letter, and they are included in this squad. But the Kleena Maloney uh, news, which Rishi mentioned, does catch the eye. She's, you know, 28 years of age. She's playing for Wasps. She's played the last four games. She'd been suspended before that, but she's played the last four games. She's fit. You know, you'll remember she was the uh, player who really led the line with the slurry comment after, you know, she said Anthony Eddy was effectively spreading slurry. Uh, I think it's a big surprise she's not in the squad. Right. And I wonder, might she have something to say about it? Right, so it's not now, done I don't, I don't, just yet. Does it, does it, yeah, there's a degree of speculation mm. there, but, um, you know, who knows what's going on here? And maybe there's a perfectly sound explanation as to why Kleena Maloney is not in the squad. But I think people would have expected her to be in it. Uh, Ali Donnelly, who runs the Scrum Queens website, put up online about an alternative view on Anthony Eddy that, yes, he could have handled aspects better, including his public communications, but that he was set up to fail unintentionally by a union that didn't understand the scale of the task he was handed. His role was at least two jobs. No one could have done both well. So it'll be interesting to see if there is some learnings out of that and the constant 15s, 7s conversation Mm -hmm. and the expectation that somehow they'll be balanced together. It's never really worked from an Irish rugby point of view. So uh, that's at around about lunchtime tomorrow. I'm sure we'll have plenty of that on tomorrow night's show from 7 o'clock. What else you got, Richie? Yeah, Andrew Porter has been ruled out of Ireland's remaining Six Nations games. The Leinster props suffered an ankle injury in last week's win over Italy and he'll miss the games with England and Scotland as a result. Forwards coach Paul O'Connell said today that a replacement is likely to be called up to the squad. While Robbie Henshaw has been passed fit for the Twickenham trip, having come through the return to play protocols, but O'Connell admits that Porter will be missed. I suppose we don't have the strength and depth maybe that other teams have um, um, and we don't want to lose our, our big men either, you know. Uh, he's one of our bigger guys, uh, which is which is pretty important for us. Um, and there's no doubt if you're starting, you probably get you probably get a few more reps than the other guys. You're probably a little bit further down the track in terms of your knowledge than the other guys are. But uh, Keegan has been going back playing, which has been great. Um, David Kilcoyne hasn't as much rugby played, but he's gone back and played as well. Um, and when we've trained, you know, these sessions we've done against the 20s and when we've trained, particularly those Wednesday training sessions, we've trained very fast. They've been very physical. Um, they've been kind of a, a match intensity and a little bit higher. And I think the players have gotten great benefit from that. So uh, as well as that, that's 15 v 15, you know. So the guys have a lot more rugby under their belts than maybe then maybe, you know, their match minutes for Ireland would, would have you believe. Um, but there's no doubt losing a guy like Andrew Porter, his first choice at the moment, is a loss. But it's a great opportunity for the guys. Keen, um, you know, David Kilcoyne started the game against England uh, 12 months ago. Uh, he went off quite early and Keen came on and had a really good game. So there's great experience there. Um, so... You know, it's a great opportunity for these guys as well. They're really enthusiastic guys, want opportunities to play. So, um, you know, we're, we're very happy with what we have behind Andrew Port. Uh, it's always interesting, Paul O'Connell. It's great that they put him out and he does the media. He's pretty honest as well, Joe. We don't have the depth of other squads. Is not something you would hear too many coaches say. No, I think every everything you said there is very fair. Like Porter is 
by distance at the moment the number one and then there is a bit of a drop off but I think he's right to point to the fact that Healy and Kilcoyne started against England last time out and that went okay so like as a kind of one off it's not the end of the world and it's an opportunity for them and all that so um, yeah I mean Twickenham is going to be interesting they're playing so badly at the moment England and yet they've only been beaten twice there in the last 10 years in the Six Nations Scotland last year Ireland on the Grand Slam day of 2018 so you know, it's kind of an extraordinary record, and, and we've seen the Six Nations so far, very few away wins. Mm. So uh, as badly as they're playing, it's going to be such a uh, an intriguing kind of a game, be a real almost championship-defining one for both teams. Like it kind of saves England's championship a touch if they beat Ireland in, in reasonable fashion, and then Ireland win or lose at Twickenham. You presume they beat the Scots at home. That kind of defines their championship as well. Yeah, you go and you win at Twickenham and suddenly you've gone right to the wire against France and you're thinking that was a, a Six Nations that maybe Ireland didn't win but learned a huge amount from. Yeah, Yet you lose to exactly. England and you're thinking, well, still, out, yeah. of, out of the Aviva, you're not winning these big games. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's a lot riding on it and it'll kind of uh, shape how we're all talking about the team for the next three months into the New Zealand tests. Time for a couple more stories, Richie. Yeah, the International Paralympic Committee performed a dramatic U-turn this morning and banned Russia and Belarus from the Paralympic Winter Games. They were happy to allow both countries' para-athletes compete as neutrals, but bowed to pressure from their fellow competitors. However, Russian Sports Minister Oleg Matison says they are going to cast to fight the ban. The Games get underway in Beijing tomorrow. While Formula One team Haas have reportedly parted company with their Russian driver Nikita Mazepin, the FIA had given Russian and Belarusian drivers clearance to race under neutral flags. However, Mazepin's departure from Haas is believed to be connected with their decision to end their sponsorship with Ural Kali. The Russian potash company is owned by Mazepin's father, Dmitry. Meanwhile, Formula One has terminated its contract with the Russian Grand Prix. This year's race in Sochi had already been cancelled, but the latest move means that there won't be a race in Russia for the foreseeable future. Harry Maguire's the biggest problem at United. If successive managers won't get rid of him, then fair play to the players for talking about the elephant in the dressing room says Richard, a Manchester United fan. Not really how dressing rooms tend to work. <laughs> Maybe keep it in the dressing room. Mm. Like, don't go anonymously uh, throwing it out to the papers and embarrassing your captain and undermining the whole thing. Like, I don't think there's much fair play about it. But, uh, By the way, before I watched Drive to Survive, I didn't actually appreciate just how many drivers get the gig because, like, their dad owns the sponsor... Uh, ship for a, a team or there's some like family connection and in you go like it's unbelievable or even just getting a sponsor from the country means that that sponsor will say we want yeah. so if we get a German sponsor they will want a German driver and we will dump the guy that we have right there and we get somebody else in yeah it blew my mind and like not, not only that but like they were saying it openly you know it's like oh no we've got to get a German driver in so you know Nathan even though you're probably a better driver tough luck uh, you did your you did your best, but like you're just not bringing in the big books from Mayo for us. It's like the gig here, really, Joe, isn't it? It is yeah, like it the is, gig here. Yeah. Uh, Shane Hannon actually was talking to the producers of Drive to Survive on OTB AM this morning, uh, so you can get that now on all our social channels. Uh, John Giles is waiting, so we're going to have to say goodbye, Richie. Goodbye, Nathan. Joe, thank you. Evening, gents. See you. 